0: Hello there, welcome to the Woman Being Podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm Emma and I'm here today with the lovely Kellyanne, the lovely Kelly and the lovely Elizabeth Wanning who is a pastor at Bethel Church and she is also the um, co-leader of the changed movement and equipped to love and uh, we're gonna dive into her story and she has lots of amazing things to talk about. So let's get started. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast Community,
1: where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our
0: minds without expectation or judgment.
1: We will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine.
0: I guess we'll just start out. We're going to jump right in and um, we would love to just begin and introduce our listeners to you by hearing a little bit about your story. Just a brief synopsis, if you will. A brief synopsis.
2: <laughs> a brief synopsis. Well, mm-hmm. um, my, my ministry and focus at Bethel kind of circulates or um, essentially gets rooted in this part of my past, which is that uh, I came out as a lesbian when I was in my early 20s after questioning my sexuality for several years and um, I moved into a major metropolitan area and into the gay community and became a part of the gay community. Um, I had grown up in the Presbyterian Church, which um, is a, was a more progressive, uh, intellectual body of believers that I was a part of. And so I began grappling with my faith in the context of what it means to be gay and decided that I would go to seminary openly gay. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had been on uh, the elder board in my church and ended up resigning because that's what one has to do when Mm -hmm. they come out. Mm -hmm. Um, I resigned from my roles and official capacity in my home church um, as I came out publicly right Mm -hmm. before I went to seminary and um, went to seminary. I was embraced there. I was one of a half a dozen or a dozen students that were open about their sexuality. And we we were going after MDivs and seeking to uh, develop a newly emerging part of the Presbyterian Church, which was gay affirming. Mm -hmm. And we were working towards developing uh, theology and understanding and moving faculty in that direction and moving the presbytery in that direction. And I was also doing ministry in a major metropolitan area in the gay community, working among teens and trying to create safe spaces for, for teens who experience LGBTQ. And when I graduated, I, um, I moved from this major city really to a rural community. I moved in with my elderly grandmother. She was in her early 90s at the time. Wow. And she needed uh, some. She needed nighttime care. And so um, I volunteered to do that and moved into a tiny rural area where I was. Uh, I, I could think of myself as the token lesbian in town. Like, I mean, I was uh, very butch in affect. Um, I was very open you know, I wore, I had pride stickers, I had my HRC sticker on the back of my truck. Um, I only wore men's clothes at the time. I shaved my head so I, I cut my hair very, very short and um, had lots of piercings. I have several tattoos and, and so I maybe looked a little bit different than I look today um, and began doing youth ministry in that community as I was able. Um, working at another Presbyterian church and when I was living there then I met another youth pastor and um, he at first he saw me so I was I had moved uh, from the north down to uh, the fringe of the Bible Belt Mm. and I, I think he looked at me without knowing anything about me and thought she needs to know the Lord, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> little did he know. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I mean, we had occasion to run into each other one day, and he um, he approached me probably to share the gospel and asked me where I was headed and I said, well, I'm a pastor and I'm headed to church. And <laughs> just the look on his face, it was classic. It was classic. <laughs> yeah, it was classic. Um, but from there, we developed a strong relationship, a close friendship, and I mean, he determined to stay in connection with me and really the Lord led him to, uh, to really become a, um, a friend for dialogue. And he invited me to his, he was leading a youth outreach that for that community was really, really large. I mean, mm-hmm. they had close to 50 kids that were coming a couple of times of a week to their outreach in a town of about 4,000 people. That's
3: amazing.
2: It was really strong. And, and the kids they were ministering to were all homeless or mm-hmm. at risk, broken kids. Whereas the kids that I was ministering to, once again, I was in an intellectual community. So they were all affluent. Um, Their parents were doctors and lawyers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very different um, scene than what I was familiar with. And it was charismatic. Mm -hmm. And so um, he invited me one evening to one of their services. And, um, of course, it was contemporary music and very expressive. And I honestly had never... Ever been to a charismatic service?
3: Mm.
2: So I show up, and kids—the uh, Holy Spirit just came in power that night. Kids were weeping and crying and falling, flailing on the ground, <laughs> and being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And uh, it was. I always, when I share this, I always say it was a Presbyterian's worst nightmare. It was shocking, really. And in the midst of that environment, a 17-year-old boy approached me and he said to me, well, I think I have a word from the Lord for you. And um, I'd never heard of anything like that before. Mm. Um, had no idea what he was talking about. And of course, he had never seen me before. He had no idea anything about me, um, other than obviously I was a lesbian. And so he was very brave in approaching me that night. And I thought, "Hmm, well, I don't know what he's talking about, but perhaps it would be wise to listen. And Mm. so he proceeded to tell me something that I had been praying about for years. Mm. It was a, a major concern in my life. And I remember thinking in that moment, "Is it possible that da- that God knows exactly who I am?" Mm-hmm. And I had never heard that that was possible. So I had—I have a master's in theology. I had completed all that study, and I had never heard that you could interact personally with God,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or mm-hmm. I had believed that any suggestion of that was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and so I thought, wow, if God knows who I am, I have no idea who he is. And so, I mean, that interaction with him didn't cause me to question my sexuality because, you know, for me, it was, it was clear. Mm. Um, I had been born gay. God had created me gay. He was not ashamed of me as a gay woman. Um, and uh, so I wasn't, that was the farthest thing from my mind. But what was clear in my heart was, wow, I don't know who God is. Mm. And, you know, if you are attempting to follow a call in ministry and you have that revelation, that's a significant stopping point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it came to me with a lot of gravity. So I began a rich new study of the scriptures and um, took about a year and a half to reread the Bible and in the course of that time, I would pepper it with going to any church I could find where there was something happening. Something mm-hmm. I could not explain, something outside of my own reason happening. So I went to. Holiness Pentecostal churches, I mean, if you can picture me, you know, showing up with my shaved head in a Holiness Pentecostal church where women have their PhDs, their Pentecostal hairdos, all of <laughs> and, uh, you know, long sleeve shirts and long skirts, and um, I just sat in the back, and, and I think it was God's mercy that either people were too afraid to talk to me, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is possible, or that God kept people from talking to mm-hmm. me. Because I could safely observe what was going on. And then um, this youth pastor that had introduced me to this youth group, he was available to answer questions. Mm. And in that season, for about a year, I began discover, discovering the Holy Spirit. Mm. And um, I, he would actually get words of knowledge for me. Like the Lord would say to him, she is going to come to you and ask you this and this is how I want you to respond mm. so he actually had um, an an incredible experience himself mm-hmm. in his process of ministering to me um, but so I mean I would come to him with questions like do you think prophecy still happens and he, his own thought would be well I know it is let me call a prophet friend of mine and we'll mm-hmm. just blast you, you know. (laughs) Um, But the Lord would, I remember him looking at me and and saying, yes, I do believe prophecy still happens and not saying anything else Mm. because the Lord had instructed him that any other answer would cause me to run away. Mm. And so the Lord went to extreme lengths, I feel, to reveal himself to me. And in that process... um, I began to discover how beautiful He is, mm. and in that in that discovery, I realized that if I could have communion with Him, if I could have the same kind of fellowship that those others around me were, were claiming they had, that they could hear the Lord, that He was present in their lives, that would give me value, mm. it would give me purpose. Um, it would give meaning to my life and all of those things up to that point were missing Mm -hmm. and so I began I began thinking what in my life could have hindered me from experiencing more of God Mm -hmm. and that's when repentance began for me I began reevaluating my my seminary degree and so much to my dismay today I Burnt most of my writing for mm-hmm. my I, theological uh, degree. Oh, no, um, I no, parted no. with my library. I, <sighs> I, I discarded everything that I thought opposed the power of the Holy Spirit mm. from my past, and then I began questioning my sexuality in the context of my faith,
3: mm.
2: and I began recognizing in Scripture that, um, really, lesbianism isn't illustrated in the Bible, and. Then I began questioning what it meant to me that I felt more meaning and more value in my identity as a lesbian than I did as a woman.
3: Mm.
2: And it was problematic for me when I realized it's hard for me to consider myself just a woman.
3: Mm.
2: That lesbianism gave me authority. It gave me power. Um, I was a feminist. It, it, it made me feel um, unique. It made me feel, like I said, powerful and special and um, it gave meaning to my life. And I realized that was problematic before the Lord. And, and so that began for me, this journey of, okay, what does it look like to let go of lesbianism? And that is not any, you know, I have to say that that is, um, for anyone who's listening, that is not an easy question to ask, because I, at that point, was so fully convinced that I had been born gay, so fully convinced that this is how God had designed me, that I had no vision for my life for anything else.
3: Mm.
2: And so, you know, <laughs> I think often when we, we think of ministering to or evangelizing gay-identifying gay people, we think, well, yeah, just repent and come this way. Mm. But if you have no vision for healthy relation, healthy opposite-sex relation relationships, if you be no vision for healthy um, kind of biological sex, really, mm-hmm. in your body. Then you're repenting and there's just this vacuum. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have, um, if either you don't have relationships and community that helps give you meaning to your life or gives you identity in your life, or if you don't feel connected to the Lord and trusting the Lord in that journey, it simply isn't a step you can take. And so, by God's mercy, I was able to unravel, begin unraveling some of the beliefs that I had about who I was, what it meant to be a woman, how I had arrived at a le- at lesbianism, how what meaning that gave me, and where I needed to go from there. And so... Um, Within a couple of years then, I, I married my husband. Mm. And, and honestly, in the context of my marriage with him, I would say I've gained the most revelation of what it means to be a woman, most personal revelation of, of being embodied as a woman. That's been a big journey for mm. me. Um, and emotional health. Uh, there, I realized that there was quite a bit of um, sexual abuse, Um, in my life and really judgment of femininity in my life because of bad role models. Um, And those things together had compounded my sense of lesbian identity. And so uh, it took years for the Lord to really unravel that. But as he did, I have become healthier and more secure, more more stable emotionally Mm -hmm. um, as a leader, as a woman, I would say I'm more healthy than I've ever been, mm. and so the journey has been. I'm still on the journey. Mm, um, yeah. I just took a big risk in cutting my hair off. Mm. So you know, I over the last ten years, I've made sure that my hair is long, just trying to explore what does it mean to have long hair as a woman. Yeah. And in the last year, I I cut it off, mm. um, which. It, maybe that seems insignificant to all of you long-haired no, no, ladies, no, but no,
4: I get it. <laughs> but it,
2: it was like, okay, am I still a woman mm-hmm. if I cut my hair off? Yep. And so it, it's all just a journey, you yeah. know, and and an ex- exploration for me that the Lord delights in. Mm-hmm. And um, so I arrived at Bethel with no intention, really, of doing the work that I'm doing now. My, my focus at Bethel, or my desire, my desired focus at Bethel, is to to be able to talk reasonably about the LGBTQ experience, Mm -hmm. to analyze scripture um, in in a fresh way that doesn't cave to progressive thought, that also lends itself to a kingdom-minded thought that God is bringing restoration. Mm -hmm. Like, can we believe that he- heaven on earth is available. If it is, what does that mean for the gay community? Mm-hmm. And how can the church embrace the now, but not yet on behalf of the gay community in such a way that's life-giving as opposed to condemning?
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I really believe Bethel is an environment where that kind of liminal space is available
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, if we will allow it to grow. Mm-hmm. And so my commitment at Bethel um I'm excited about what's ahead, but at the same time, our culture is becoming more and more conflicted on the LGBT issue. Mm. Um, But it's exciting; it's an exciting time to be in ministry. Honestly,
3: yeah, Mm -hmm. that's amazing.
2: So that's a long answer, really, to your (laughs) your first question. That's uh, quite a journey that you've been on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, man, I love like what you said about embodiment work and learning Mm -hmm. really what it falling in love with the feminine and mm-hmm. how good and holy and beautiful that is. And um, I understand about the haircutting thing. I actually cut my hair off pretty recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's grown a lot, but, um, and it's a mind trip a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. I, I get it. And mine wasn't even that short. It was just, like, up to here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is interesting to, like, challenge those things of what you identify as feminine or beautiful or social, like, what the social expectation is even of a woman. And so I I love that journey so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much you've explored that I love and so many beautiful things that you've so eloquently articulated. For those listening, actually, uh, Elizabeth is also a incredibly accomplished theologian. That is not... Well, I'm working on that. No, she is. <laughs> yeah. She's brilliant. And actually... Um, I interned for someone in the theology space and um, she was one of like two to three women pioneering in that field at the time in our community at Bethel and has been a huge personal inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. So, but could you tell us a little bit about what your inner process looks like as you went from living as a lesbian to then having feelings for and eventually marrying a man? I can imagine that is Unraveling is beautiful is a beautiful, romantic word to use, but it's actually very painful and it's very hard. So I'm curious to know what your experience was with that.
2: Well, <laughs> I remember one of the first trips that, that Doug and I took together. So I, I used to live in Southern Illinois, and uh, I love art and art museums. So we, were take, we took a, a road trip to St. Louis, which mm-hmm. was a couple of hours from where we were living. And um, this is when we were first getting to know each other. And I, I remember feeling close to him. Mm. These feelings of, oh, I enjoy being with him. Mm. And, uh, and he and I are very different. He is he's actually not a brainiac. He's a, he's a very thoughtful, heart-connected man. Mm. And um, so we were driving to the art museum and we stopped at a rest stop. And I remember, uh, you know, at some point he came out uh, getting ready to get into the car and I stopped him. And I remember just saying, okay, can I, thinking, this is what I'm thinking, can I even touch him?
3: Mm.
2: And I asked him, I said, would you just stop, stop right there? And I asked him to stand in front of me about two feet. And I walked up at about that distance, arm's length apart. And I put my hands just on the outside of his upper arms, just outside of his shoulder. So his was arm length apart, as far away as I could get, but still touch him. And I just stood there with my two hands on his upper arms, right at his shoulders. And I paused for a moment, and I took that in, and I thought, hmm. And then that was it. I walked. I was like, okay, that's about all I can take there. And mm-hmm. um, I began thinking what can, is, can this be safe for me? My, my childhood journey was fraught with a great deal of um, question about myself and who I was. And that was compounded by the way I had been treated by men. Mm-hmm. And also by my own relationships with my family.
3: Mm.
2: So from a very young age, I felt other than everybody. Mm. Which, I mean, you that's a common statement from people who have been in the LGBT community. You mm-hmm. just feel different than everybody. Mm. And I, I, I had a pretty great struggle um, socially. And now, um, I could talk a lot about that. I probably don't wanna do that, but um, I was also, As you said, I'm smart. And so there was a lot of confusion over, is she emotionally unbalanced or is she smart?
3: Mm.
2: And that, you know, that also compounded this, I'm other than everybody else. Mm. It's actually a little bit odd and challenging to be a smart woman. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Women women have thoughts. (laughs) And and, um, so I had all of that as well as trying to navigate what does it mean to be a woman and be with men and when I was growing up I had no I had never seen or heard of homosexuality mm. like I had no model of lesbianism until I was 16 when I met a young woman at a church event an international church event I went to a huge conference and met a a friend who who I I fell deeply in love with mm. and she she became my model of relationship mm. wow. and um that that became it was fraught with what is going on what is this what does this mean who am i mm. how do we you know thankfully we really didn't live close to each other ultimately i ended up going uh, going a different way than she did um, at the university level but um yeah so, um, but at the same time, so since I had no models, mm-hmm. I was trying to make relationships with men work. And um, so I, my, I've been married. I got married in my early 20s. And within a couple of years, I'd say 18 months of my marriage starting, um, I had a mental breakdown. And um, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and that began an incredible... 20 years almost half of my life really struggling with mental illness Mm. and um, I reasoned in the hospital that the reason why it had begun was because I was truly a lesbian that Mm. forcing myself into this relationship with this man was the reason why I had imploded now today I don't believe that that's the case but that's how I survived that experience really And so then um, entering into a relationship with my husband today, uh, it took very small steps, mm-hmm. like arm li- arm's length contact. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually then when we got married, uh, the first dynamic problem was that I dissociated in our, in our sexual encounters. Mm-hmm. So for several years, um, I struggled being sexually intimate with my husband and and being embodied like Mm -hmm. i still struggle being feeling like my my mind and my thoughts are part of my body like i said Mm -hmm. earlier but uh, sexually in the very beginning um my husband and i really had to learn to navigate that together it was i'm so thankful for my husband and his connection to the lord because Um, without his tender connection to Jesus I wouldn't be I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to make it and so in the beginning in moments of sexual intimacy um, I would just leave
3: Mm.
2: you know like this turn it off and um, Doug would have to draw me back it's like okay come back here and eventually we learned that we would have. I would have to make that. We would both have to make that a moment of worship, really, in order for me to stay mm-hmm. present. And so, we began praying for the Lord to be present with us in those moments, and made it um, in in not a heretical, blasphemous way, a moment of intimate connection with yeah. the Lord, so that there was safety for me to be present with my mm-hmm. husband and to learn how to be with him. Mm-hmm that that has meant that requirement of connection for us for the first half of our marriage has meant that our marriage today is incredibly strong Mm -hmm. because you can't be in those moments of vulnerability and be seen and be cared for without establishing a bond that is unusual yeah
4: absolutely
2: so that's what that looked like
4: (laughs) i love it i mean Mm -hmm. honestly and even i mean I feel like Kelly and I have similar experiences, but like being young uh, Christian women that get mar- when you get married, there is uh, a process because mm-hmm. you are told, basically, you don't have sexual feelings, so it's kind of like repress the sexual feelings because in purity culture, the worst thing that could happen is like, you know, as having a lustful, having thought. A lustful yeah. thought and there's process with that. Mm-hmm. But it creates almost all this, this repressed experience. And so, like, what you push down one day has to come out. And and for me, I had a, a long unraveling of how do you be present, like, during sex? How does it feel good? Like, how do you figure out what you like? And, and I, I feel like it's so important to normalize that process mm-hmm. and that experience of, like, Women, sometimes it takes time to figure it out.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. Well, how incredible it is, too, that,
1: like, I think you talk about Doug and him being a safe place, but also ushering in a safe place, like, in prayer and stuff. And I, that reminds me of my husband as well and how he was, as we were figuring out our sexual situation, <laughs> um, so patient, so affirming, so, like, no, like, that's okay. We're safe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, we can... We can stop anytime. We yeah. can start anytime. You can like, tap out. This is, you know, and so I think like that's incredible. And I feel closer to him because of that as yeah.
4: well.
2: Um, mm-hmm. But seeing know, that
4: there. kindness, the yeah. kindness and the safety mm-hmm. is so beautiful.
2: The process, I think, is one where you have to, uh, a healthy person has learned how to give your body to your spouse mm-hmm. as a gift, how to enjoy giving yourself to someone else, and how to enjoy someone else without using them. Mm. Um, and so, the honestly, the, that process, particularly where there is so much difference mm. between a man and a woman, that process, I think, is absolutely essential to human thriving and cultural thriving. Yeah. Like, I, being able to experience this beautiful give and take, mm-hmm. and this mutual empowerment that happens at the most intimate level, mm-hmm. um, creates a foundation, or should create a foundation, in our culture that empowers honor, it empowers dignity, it models, um, it models self-sacrifice the fact that our culture is missing that really and that divorce is so common and that uh, promiscuity is so common and marriage has become so plastic I believe is part of why we're in this state where we're over sexualized and Mm
3: -hmm.
2: relationally we're separate we're so far from each other
1: And that's just such a beautiful picture of like the Lord too. And at least in my faith journey, as I'm thinking about it, is like, you know, having been through really painful experiences or learning how to trust. And, and he's always been so patient with me. He's like, all right, come take a step and we can pause when we need to. Mm-hmm. And then we can revisit this. And mm-hmm. like the patience of the Lord um, in my faith journey for sure is like, reflected I guess in in you know the story that you're telling and also like somewhat the journey with my husband and us figuring all that sexual intimacy out is Mm -hmm. like intimacy is very scary (laughs) it's very vulnerable and Mm -hmm. um especially when you've been hurt before you've been through traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. trying to rebuild that trust takes so much time and Mm -hmm. and patience and step forward three steps back half a step forward and you know like it's just a slow journey and the beautiful thing is that god is delighting in all of that when he's Uh, walking with us
2: yeah boy i can think i can say quite a few things about what i've learned about the lord and the character of the lord through my husband Mm. um honestly i i see reflected in my marriage that if I am distant from the Lord, I'm also feeling distant from my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, like my level of intimacy with anyone is really uh, re- reciprocated by the level of intimacy I feel with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you were saying that I was reflecting on, on what uh, Pope John Paul writes in Theology of the Body, he, he makes much of the original innocence mm-hmm. of man and woman and if we can think about how challenging it is you know as you were describing to be in that place of extreme vulnerability mm-hmm. imagine so you can begin to imagine what it is to have a sinless life where um, our original innocence, innocence is unimpacted by the things that today beset us you know that right. incredible purity where i am i can allow someone else to see me fully
3: mm-hmm.
2: Without shame, mm-hmm. I think that's where we're headed in the kingdom of God. You know, this place of I'm so I'm so completely redeemed that you can see me completely, mm-hmm. and there's nothing that would be between us. There's nothing I wouldn't share. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful promise that we have in Scripture. Wow.
0: Yeah. I love that, um, you call that a purity too, like the Mm. the purity of, of being fully known and of, Mm. um, I think that the word pure can get thrown around a lot in Christian culture and, um, sometimes misused. And Mm -hmm. so like recognizing like, this is like the true pureness that God has in store for us and, and of, of being known and, and being fully, uh, present with God and, um, yeah. I think that that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> so you, you've gone through this, um, this whole like sort of restructuring as you, uh, went from, uh, living as, uh, openly gay and a Christian going to seminary and then having this realization of, of the presence of Holy Spirit and, and then later, um, marrying your husband and, um, walking away from, the LGBTQ plus lifestyle. Um, so what what is it that you do now? What is your focus now? I know you've touched on a little bit of um, sort of what you do uh, with the church and stuff, but like what, let's, let's hear more about that.
2: <laughs> I, I would say 80% of what I do now is I respond to people's questions about God's heart for the LGBTQ community as I see it, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um, as I see it reflected in scripture.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Because there's a great deal of controversy over should or can an LGBT identifying person change. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And what is change? What does that mean? What is um, heterosexuality paramount to salvation, for example? Is it possible for, you know, how do we walk out the journey of, of discipleship with Christ um, with wholeheartedness, with pure heartedness, um, in the midst of a congregation where none of us are sanctified?
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and how do we create that space for people to question their sexuality? Uh, in the context of their faith without um, without releasing themselves from the promises of the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Um, so most of my time is spent thinking about that <laughs> and having dialogue about that. Um, and then a small portion of my time really is spent mentoring other women because I wish I'd had a mentor. I believe that um, historically among women, uh, community has meant there are always generations together.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, if, if we look at a quilting bee or we look at historically how women have congregated together, there's always been women communing together and giving identity mm-hmm. and bringing maturity and wisdom. And that's really, that has been lacking in my life. Mm-hmm. And and so I try to, or I'm trying to learn how to really mentor women so that they feel seen and valued, they, they gain a sense of identity based on community, not simply based on the inner vacuum of I'm going to decide this is who I am.
3: Mm.
2: And walking that out with authority I want I would love to see women uh, leaders who are not plagued with either um, narcissistic tendencies you know which would be kind of my feminist background where it's my way or the highway Mm. Um, and men are a roadblock to my success to finding what it really looks like to co-labor to co-partner in a way where women's power is effective mm. um, all in the context of all right my sexuality is disjointed or my perception of my sexuality has been distorted and you know women's sexuality is different than men's and so when we lump the LGBTQ community and we say there is a gay reality or a gay community and we put men and women together in that reality and assume that there's a similar life experience that's really a false contra- construct in my opinion um, women create relationships differently than men they become sexual and express themselves sexually differently than men and so walking out of same-sex attraction or lesbian identity looks different in my opinion Then on top of that, there are additional issues, additional factors like sexual abuse that is much less common among men. Not impossible, but much less common. So there's an entire sector of women who tend towards uh, same-sex sexuality simply because they've been so terribly abused by men. Mm -hmm. Um, So understanding or talking about those factors and making space for women um, is part of what I'm exploring at Bethel. Mm. Okay.
1: That's mm. a lot of great things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a small few small mountains that you're climbing. <laughs> mm. But that's really cool to see. Like uh, you're actually like pioneering a way to first of all talk about the LGBTQ plus community in a in a different way, mm-hmm. and um, and figuring out how to help the church navigate this topic in a way that is not either A, like 100%, everything's fine, we're not gonna be a part of your inner process because we're all here, or B, like you can't be here if you're not measuring up to this standard, and somehow figuring out how, like, how do we let people work that out? In their own life but like stay
2: within stay within fellowship stay within 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 the community yeah Yeah, and that's Mm -hmm. that's really tough that hasn't happened Mm -hmm. so far but i i you know i recently published an article in the christian post talking about just that that um my energies as a gay christian and while i was in seminary were directed towards changing the church to accommodate us um because there didn't seem to be any other way Mm -hmm. okay um it's like it wasn't as an activist which i would say i'm only i was only lightly an activist i certainly was empowered by activism um i've walked in a couple of gay pride parades as a seminarian Mm -hmm. you know i mean i certainly was tending in that direction um my efforts as an activist wasn't to overthrow the church or to destroy uh, heterosexual marriage or to rewrite what it meant to be um, human or to have children. Um, really my effort was to create belonging. I wanted to belong in the church and for me there seemed to be an impasse.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And part of that was what I said earlier, The the addition of this label of lesbian that meant that I wasn't really just a woman among other women Mm. and the same is true for a gay man in my opinion you take on that label and now that gives you meaning that separates you from other men Mm. and so the LGBTQ identity it actually we have this as a gay person, we have this desire to belong, but so long as we embrace that label, we never allow ourselves to belong. And so there's, a, there's an impasse. And so part of, part of what has to happen is this acknowledgement of, I don't care what your sexual experience is, you're still just a man or you're still just a woman among others. And like with other situations, God will enter into your life as a man and or as a woman and sort that out so that you're part of his body. Um, so long as we have these semantic constructs, we don't allow ourselves to even get to that point.
3: Mm.
2: And that point has to come in order for there to be true healing. I mean, and what I mean by healing is this, this place of feeling outcast. Mm. Um, that reconciliation can't happen until you're willing to let go of an identity that seems to give meaning to your life more than the meaning of being a son or a daughter of God.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the church has got to make that space. And that means allowing people to be authentic with what they're experiencing and and understanding what spiritual maturity looks like for someone who experiences same-sex attraction. We can't just, you know, the church can't just say, oh, you experience same-sex attraction, therefore you're not spiritually mature. Mm. Mm. We just can't, we, we have to stop doing that. For many, many people, spiritual maturity looks like I'm no longer controlled by these feelings. I'm no longer compelled to act on them so that when I feel a desire, strong desire sexually towards another woman, I don't have to engage it. Mm. I, I'm not controlled by it. I actually have the the power to say no to it and to inquire of the Lord about it and to move on. And that person should be empowered to minister in the church. Mm-hmm. And because once you get to that point, then you are capable of hearing the Lord's dialogue about why you are the way you are, how those feelings began in your life, um, what was involved with those perceptions how did the feelings get planted why does your body respond like that what Mm -hmm. are you actually desiring because it isn't always just sexual even though the sexual feelings are there Mm -hmm. the lord can give you all that information if you allow him Mm -hmm. and once he does then he will rewrite this narrative that you've created for yourself Mm -hmm. and that new narrative is what allows any of us any of us who are part of change that new narrative that the Lord gives us, this understanding of our past that helps us understand why we are the way we are, why we've developed the feelings we have, why we respond the way we do, um, that new narrative is what sets us free.
1: Mm-hmm. So how do you in um, that? Which I think, I mean, ultimately what, what I'm hearing is like, we want people to be whole, holistically, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we yeah. focus on sexuality only or like a title of of what your sexual leanings are only we're actually kind of missing the point Mm -hmm. in that we're not like getting at like who you are as a person and making sure that you're allowing the lord to like speak into all of the various areas of what makes you a person but how do we um in that when what you're describing how do we prevent people from just pretending um, in order to feel accepted or um, or feeling like they have to leave because they can't like get over, you know, their or they can't agree or they can't get over their their decision, I guess, of like, this is gonna be who I am. like where does where does the line fall? like when when it comes to, the community of people
2: who has long felt so rejected by
1: Christians. Well,
2: well, when I find that, I'll let you know. (laughs) I mean, that's the big question. Well, I I think the first things that we need to think about uh, in Christian community is whether we can create a community that can handle conflict. Mm -hmm. You know, the early church, the churches Paul was planting, had a very, very strict sexual boundary. Um, of course, Jesus and all of the apostles upheld Old Testament, Old Covenant values for sexuality. And uh, that played out in, in small communities. So imagine this, Paul was planting, say, in Roman communities, uh, Roman culture, uh, Jewish values. Jewish moral values. And um, their sexual, sexual values were different. He used sexual boundaries to set his communities apart. All right. So if part, it, part of his teaching was, okay, Jesus taught that we are not to objectify and use one another sexually, and that there are covenantal boundaries that have to be established for sex. And um, that mentality within those small churches enabled them to create communities that were trusting.
3: Mm.
2: So um, I'm not saying that's the only thing that helped them, but you have to realize that in creating a strict boundary sexually, um, you're you're creating safety for a community. That means that I'm not going to take advantage of you sexually, Mm -hmm. and I don't have to worry about your husband, taking advantage of me sexually, Mm -hmm. all right? So those kinds of boundaries are required for safety, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, That kind of value system of, okay, we're gonna live authentically together through conflict, through thick or thin, now in those early churches, it was literally life or death, Mm -hmm. because um, every one of the apostles, well, all but John, perhaps, were all martyred, and so were thousands of the first believers. Mm-hmm. So the many, many early believers were martyred. Um, and so life together was a matter of life or death.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's helpful to, to think about that, mm-hmm. because in our context today, we, community is fleeting and irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that needs to happen is we need to actually establish family within our churches. We, we need to restore a sense of family. And I don't mean that everyone gets married. I mean that we, Paul used, and so Jesus taught um, in his teaching, he was a single man, all right, which was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. He was a single man as a rabbi.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He he taught that he could have disciples that were single.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he called them brothers and sisters, Um. So he created a family around him Mm -hmm. of those that associated with him. That was new. That was revolutionary. And Paul and the apostles picked that up. So, you know, Sister Kelly, I mean, that notion was established in the first church. They created family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, within family, once again, is the understanding that we do not use each other sexually. We don't objectify each other. And we know each other. We trust each other. We stand with each other. And so singleness in the context of that community um, was cherished.
3: Mm.
2: It it wasn't diminished. It was cherished. Mm. And it was seen as Jesus was the model. It was seen as one expression of wholehearted devotion to God and to God's family. The single person, and Paul reflected this in his teaching and in his own life, the single person was meant to dedicate themselves to the stewarding and health of the family of christ mm-hmm. all right just so married people were called to do that mm-hmm. they were called so marriage in the bible is an icon for the relationship of god with humanity um, it's used over and over and over again to model and to clarify who god is to humanity mm-hmm. and marriage between men and women Um, if you read all the way to revelation it gets dissolved marriage between men and women are dissolved in the resurrection because we are once finally married to jesus so marriage is a construct that is given to point us to the character the nature of god and and so we can't idolize marriage we have to Bless marriage as a symbol and as a guide to how God is meaning to relate to us, what we can understand about intimate relationship, and how we can create family in our midst for safety and for true thriving. So now in our churches, how do we establish a family where, you know, my gay brother can now come and feel like he's part of the family, where he's seen and valued? Because part of the I disagree with you is I can never belong here. Mm -hmm. Like, for you, marriage with an opposite-sex person is all there is. Mm -hmm. So we have to restore a sense of healthy singleness. But then also we need to restore a sense of family where we're caring for each other. And honestly, in my opinion, that kind of construct in the church would probably minimize the The extent to which LGBTQ identity is picked up and experienced. And part of the reason why I say that is because scientifically um, studies over and over and over and over show that there is no no conclusive physical reason why someone's gay. Like just in 2019 there was a study that I think put the nail in the coffin on the genetic issue. So that study studied, uh, I think, 490,000 people wow. over 30 years. It was a study of the entire genome. It was comprised of scientists from MIT and Stanford. They Some were gay, some were straight. I mean, it was a huge study. Mm-hmm. They studied the entire genome, and they found that um, any incident of same-sex attraction um, was multifactorial; that it had to always do with a whole variety of genes, and that the total number, that that whole element of genetic experience or genetic reality in our biology, can only come; it can only amount to a fraction, just a small fraction, of the reason why people have same-sex attraction. So the conclusion was, okay, there may be some kind of physical element, but that physical element is never determinative. Instead, it's what happens to the person who has that. It's the environment they grow up in, the family experience, their peer experiences, their perception of how they experience life. Um, Like, I experienced life differently than my brother even though we were in the same room together, those differences Mm -hmm. of perception can even influence our sense of identity and the development of same-sex attraction. And so given that, given that it's childhood experiences that help us shape and develop same-sex attraction, then it reasonably to me means that an appropriate healthy family structure um, and discipleship process can be very revealing and very comforting Mm. to the person who experiences LGBTQ. And so, I mean, in the long-distance future, why can't we create a church that is authentic in identity but also creates a structure where people can explore who they are in the context of what the Holy Spirit tells us? I mean, not just based on what we read in a book, but what our living experience of the Holy Spirit is, and then acknowledging that, there are elements in our lives that have got us to where we are, mm. and and creating and understanding our narrative around that, our personal narrative around that, rather than just jumping to the cl- conclusion. Well, I'm I'm born gay. This is how I am. There's no I have no other choice but this experience, and therefore. Um, I'm other than. I don't get a place to belong. I don't get to share in the whole fellowship of Christ. That place doesn't exist today. Like, it doesn't exist today where people can experience family like that. But, boy,
0: I really want it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like hearing you talk about, like, the way that um, the church kind of idolizes marriage in a lot of ways um, is – Something that I I if, from my perspective, it seems like the church has almost picked this up as a cue from from like the world in in uh, being very focused on sexuality, very focused on um, intimacy, and all of these different things that the church has said. Well, like marriage is the thing; like you've got to do this, and this has to be the way that you are going to live, and it devalues that singleness. Um, which you talk about the early church really valuing and really um, like seeing as as just as much an expression of of God and of, of as a valid way of of living and I think that um, so much of the American church just doesn't uh, see singleness as valuable and that I think puts the pressure on like, heterosexual single people and then also on people who are struggling with same-sex attraction where it's like well i i'm just gonna have to i guess like either marry somebody that i don't feel attraction to or i just can't be part of this community Mm -hmm. um and a lot of churches kind of just give this either or Mm -hmm. um and i think that that can be really harmful at the same time even if you're like heterosexual and single not being allowed into certain spaces or into leadership positions because you don't have Mm -hmm. a a husband or a wife and so um, I think that that's an issue that we see across the American church and I think that there's so many things that could be resolved if we had a healthier view on marriage because I'm not saying marriage is bad like marriage is good marriage is is a beautiful thing and and Christ obviously like had a value for marriage as he spoke about us being the bride of Christ mm-hmm. and and about the the mirror of of God and the church in in the the marriage union um, but it's not the only way it's not even the way that Jesus did it you mm-hmm.
2: know um, I was just I don't know I don't know if I agree that marriage has been idolized I hear that a lot what I think is that we we look at these things with such superficiality, mm-hmm. we don't actually, we have not looked at, like, we all know Jesus was single, mm-hmm. and we and we all know Paul was single. Neither mm-hmm. of them talk about the absolute need to have sex.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, Paul doesn't, Paul acts as though, though he, you know, he encourages other disciples, says, you don't need to have sex, apparently. <laughs> and And so, like, our culture has created an idol out of sex Mm. now in terms of idolizing marriage what I think we've done is in the context of the LGBTQ conversation we've 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 said yeah I I see that but marriage is a thing Mm -hmm. like marriage is why we know that LGBTQ is not right and so we we use that superficial illustration Mm. to criticize sex outside of marriage to criticize pornography, you know, to criticize hookup culture, to criticize divorce, to criticize LGBT. And we don't actually look at, we, it's like we don't even put on the lenses that allow us to look at the revelation that scripture gives us. You know, I um I was just this past week reading, um, I really am gonna geek out. Um <laughs> good, good. Geek. Richard Baxter's um, he, he's written a book on uh, the Puritan pastor. And uh, Richard Baxter was a Puritan leader in the 17th century. And he was talking about how do you know when you get married? How to know when to get married and should you get married? Mm. And what kind of marriage is a Christian marriage? Okay. And he says this incredible thing. He says, you should enter into marriage if you know it will allow you to better glorify God. If if you want to get married, the purpose of that desire should always be, this will further my life in God. This will glorify God more than if I were living a single life. Mm -hmm. Well, if we could restore that sense of, well, should I get married or not? Um, Should I be having sex or not? Um, What's the meaning of my sexual desires? Um, which that's another conversation that we really could have, um, just understanding our sexuality with a theological note, a theological lens, understanding um, which coming back to John Paul's um, theology of the body or Christopher West's writings on that, just understanding that all of our erotic drive or much of our erotic drive is, um, points to something about god Mm. um that there is this divine eros there is this Mm. reflection of god's desire for humanity understand it's a reflection it's an icon it's a hint of god's character there's a hint of god's character in our desire for one another so that we can understand god's attraction to us through our attraction sexually Mm
3: -hmm.
2: not that god's sexual don't misunderstand me but it's just a way for us to understand this almost extreme draw Mm -hmm. this unreasonable draw that we have towards one another is in part a reflection of who god is Mm -hmm. i think a good book is um so Christopher, you can look up Christopher West. He's a Catholic guy. Um, reading so the theology of the body is a series of homilies that Pope John Paul uh, presented.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but Christopher West's uh, interpretations of those are really profound. Mm-hmm. Worth your time. You have to get beyond the Catholic elements, mm-hmm. but such rich information. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so Elizabeth, obviously. A lot of the things that you're saying are very controversial. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe that's like an understatement and yeah. also an obvious statement. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you're talking about, I feel like, anything within the realm of sort of the LGBTQ plus sphere, there's controversy, and especially when it has to do with faith. Um, so I'm curious to hear what has your experience been like in the reaction from like the church and the Christian community, and then also the reaction from uh, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, as you have been somewhat public about what you believe and, and what your, your walk has been like, uh, what's been the response?
2: <laughs> well, my desire is not to oversimplify the LGBTQ experience. Let me say that after I graduated with my theological degree and even got married, now you can you can hear how I am. So even though I was as I am and always very involved in church and interested in these discussions and not necessarily just with LGBTQ, my sincere passion really is the Bible and theology, and so. Um, Really, it has only been these last few years that I've been just consumed by that topic. And, and honestly, I have to admit that it's overwhelming and a little bit um, frightening to be so embroiled in that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, until I got to Bethel, even after I was ministering here at Bethel, um, no one would ever hire me as a pastor or as a leader in the church. Whew, that's that comes with a lot of emotion for me. So, yeah. um, how have I been regarded as the church? I'd always, almost always, an outsider until I got here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then, with what we're saying, I with, with what I say publicly about the experience, mm-hmm. which everyone's heard some of this. <laughs> um, some churches embrace what I have to say and are eager to hear more. Uh, more open-minded and open-hearted leaders are, are willing to hear what I'm saying and offer space. Mm-hmm. Um, others categorize me still as LGBTQ um, and therefore not trustworthy. So the more conservative you go, my, the responses I've gotten are, oh, those LGBTQ people are still wanting more space. <laughs> And mm-hmm. so I still get categorized there, mm-hmm. interestingly enough. Wow. Um, and then when I go to the opposite end of the spectrum where I'm saying we need to be more inclusive and more welcoming, we need to be able to have these dialogues, we need to live together, um, then I'm considered affirming and um I've been publicly criticized for that as well. So I've mm. depending on what angle of the church you're part of, I'm either pro-gay or anti-gay.
3: <laughs>
2: and um, so there aren't it, it is definitely um, I, I, I recommend this journey for humility <laughs> and um, for tons of self-reflection, certainly not for popularity yeah you
1: definitely like kind of sit in the gray 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. there's sort of like there's there's not a way to to move to either end without either um becoming one of those things yeah and it's what, what's been fascinating to me is I've you know, gotten to know you more and this ministry that you oversee is just like how hard that must be to stay like uh, right there. We're yeah, depending on white yeah, <laughs> right. I mean,
2: depending on who I'm with, I can sound really. Um, it, it's so hard to navigate the conversations with clear headedness mm-hmm. and not be influenced by one leader or the next or. Uh, one environment or the next, it's so hard. Um, And uh, I can say that I'm a learner. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: My thoughts are evolving. Mm. Um, And so that could probably cause other people confusion as well. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to change my mind. Um, Although I'm not willing to change my mind on what i believe god can do in the life of someone who identifies as lgbtq Mm -hmm. because not only because of my own story but because of hundreds of other stories that i have you know not just heard but i've met people who have experienced the love of jesus in such a way that they have felt redeemed that they have experienced restoration in their sexuality Mm -hmm. that they have literally felt um newness of life in their identity and so I know God can get into those places and I'm unwilling to compromise.
3: Mm.
2: Um, I feel compromise on that is really secessionist Mm. and so if I'm going to really fundamentally stay in the kingdom of God camp like the kingdom of God is coming to earth then I have to believe that God will do something in the life of someone who identifies as LGBTQ.
0: Mm. Yeah I feel like the 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 stories and the testimonies of people are so powerful, and like to me, it's it's hard to um like to negate somebody's story mm-hmm. and somebody's experience with God. Um, it how can I how could I look at somebody who has experienced God and who feels convictions? that have come from god how can i look at them and say no you're you're wrong like how can i analyze somebody's like relationship with god in that way mm-hmm. you know and so i think that y- you giving space to those stories is like super important mm-hmm.
1: yeah definitely like um one things that has stuck with me we did a podcast as you know um with individual Jared who has chosen to live openly gay and Mm -hmm. he's married to another man but still holds very deeply to his faith Mm -hmm. and um, one of the things that he said is that one time he was judging another gay person for hiding essentially Mm -hmm. and masking and um, God told him don't ever judge someone else's devotion to me Mm -hmm. You were in that place once, you mm-hmm. know, and and I loved you still, mm-hmm. and so I think that has held true for me as we navigate this discussion. And first of all, from a theological perspective, and trying to figure out, like, okay, what what does the Bible say? But then also from a relational perspective, is that looking for looking for that you know purpose in someone's journey is like are you doing what you're doing and what is the reasoning behind it? Whether it's, you know, seeking healing from the LGBTQ lifestyle or, you know, or coming to terms with the LGBTQ reality and someone's or the same-sex attraction that someone experiences and and choosing to still follow the Lord and live in that, you know, whatever that may be, remembering, like, we don't have any place to judge someone's devotion to God Mm -hmm. and the way that they choose to express that and I think this open dialogue that you talk about is absolutely um essential Mm -hmm. and but doing that in a way that maintains uh maintains connection Mm -hmm. and I even think about like how God was like to your to your um was that Doug Mm -hmm. to to Doug okay he's Mm like don't um, this is all I want you to say mm-hmm. and having that discernment and sometimes being like well actually this is what I think and and letting that be the only thing yeah. you, know? And just, you know and that's just discernment and that's patience and that's mm-hmm. truly fostering a relationship with someone and not trying to persuade someone in a 30 minute conversation of mm-hmm. this is right or this is wrong kind of thing but yeah. um, all of that is I mean trying to trying to navigate all of that is,
2: it's not an easy road set ahead mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that's another fiery conversation, judging, judging people, don't judge me. Gosh, I've had so many conversations on that. And and one of the things that I know to be true from scripture is that um, the way I judge someone else will be the way I'm judged. And so, I mean, if, if I'm willing to hold my hand open as you're as you're describing and allow the Lord to intervene or allow the Lord's voice over that gives me grace. Yeah. Um, and so I think we have to caution ourselves in the way we judge, although, you know, I I have to put a caution to I understand the devotion of someone's life towards the Lord as reflected in maybe a gay marriage or in, mm-hmm. in gay affirming a gay affirming church experience. Mm-hmm. But because of my own experience, I have to also say that I see that as unscriptural and that Christ advises us to obey and our reasonable means of obeying him, our way to express love to, towards him is by following scripture And no matter, I know that the Lord can be in the middle of someone's sideways experience. Like, while I was a sinner, Mm -hmm. the Lord met me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, all of us have experiences of being in really radically bad situations where God has shown up. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, God always has this desire to move us towards the trajectory of kingdom life. Mm -hmm. And you know because I can't see same-sex marriage in that realm I really can't suggest to someone that God is bringing them into that marriage mm-hmm. and so you know the element of judging then becomes very sticky right Right? how do I that's where I have to say okay if I were in a situation where I were being requested if, if someone were asking for advice I would say that I don't mm. see this in scripture but at the same time, I also have to believe that God will do something in that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. reveal himself. Yeah, And God can reveal himself in ways through relationships and in the midst of relationships that are, I mean, he spoke through the mouth of an ass.
3: So, <laughs> I mean,
2: God can do and reveal himself through things that are unimaginable. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's like, to me, it's like God is is powerful enough to to work in anything and if you really believe that then there's in my mind there's less concern Mm -hmm. that god can be blocked because Mm -hmm. god will not be blocked yeah you know i mean
2: so long as we will say yes to him he's undaunting in his desire to continue drawing us to him and Mm -hmm. continue approaching us Mm -hmm. um and when we say no he says okay yeah
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah you know, which is also a frightening reality <laughs> yeah so um let switch gears just a little bit um
1: because you've talked about kind of your passion for for women and like mm-hmm. mentoring women and helping to mentor i already said mentor but um helping mm-hmm. to foster uh space for women in the church essentially mm-hmm. to grow yeah. and to become leaders and all that so yeah tied in with that I guess just the the question is do you still consider yourself a feminist and why or why not
2: (laughs) (laughs) well no I, I don't honestly I have so distanced myself from uh from that concept I don't think like if Carolyn Custis James thinks she's a feminist well then maybe I am <laughs> but my own experience of feminism was one that sought to diminish masculinity mm. and elevate femininity or even to suggest that masculinity was unnecessary so the my experience of feminism was not at all godly mm. It really um, sought to destroy masculinity for the sake of empowering femininity, and so because of that, honestly, because of that reality, when I started, when the Lord started correcting me, and understand, I I mean, the Lord corrected me. <laughs> I I uh, when I repented of lesbianism, I. Believed that I had been preaching and teaching heresy. And um, the eternal consequences of that were very real to me mm-hmm. for a season, which is why I burnt all of my um, exegetical papers mm-hmm. from my master's degree. And um, within that season of two or three years, my understanding of feminism also got radically pushed and then i got married and in the first half of my marriage let's say first i've been married for 16 years so we'll say in the first five years of my marriage um i was so horrified by what i'd understood of how i had perverted my identity as a woman and as a feminist and now as a feminist i I, I really disliked men,
3: mm.
2: so there was this, um, uh, yeah, this very unhealthy dislike of men, and I was very competitive against men, and so as I became, I became more and more what I would say stereotypically masculine. Um, mm. I don't believe any woman can experience masculinity I'll just drop this in here. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as we talk about stereotypes, I don't think any woman can experience masculinity, and I don't believe any man can experience femininity. Because down to a cellular level, we are sexually one of those two sexes.
3: Mm.
2: So that would mean that anything that I think of as masculine is driven by stereotype. It's my perception of what masculinism, masculinity is, or how I think it surely is, that would cause me to maybe wear men's clothes and think that I was being masculine. Mm-hmm. So um, I was very competitive. Mm-hmm. And and like, for example, I, I didn't have a car. I just don't, had a motorcycle for several years. And at one point, um, a, a man, saw me riding that motorcycle and he said, hey, you know, I had a situation, I had a sport bike and I had pulled into a parking space too. so a sport bike, uh, there's not a lot of steering that goes on. There's a lot of body steering. And so I cut, I cut the turn too close and I dropped the bike and I needed help in lifting it up. Mm -hmm. So I asked a man to help me lift it up. And he said, if you can't lift this bike, you shouldn't have it. Or if you can't, another situation was, if you can't do your own service on this motorcycle, you shouldn't ride it. And so I set myself to doing those things and doing them well. I I became a very fast, um, fast rider. I would compete with guys in the mountains, in the Sierras against guys riding very erratically. So anyway, all of that because I was angry. I was very angry at men. Mm -hmm. And so I equated feminism with that. And so when I got married, I intentionally pushed the pendulum the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. We got married in a church that didn't allow women to preach. Um, I intentionally set myself to serving my husband. Like I, I required myself to serve him in in a housekeeping role in in stereo in this in all the stereotypical roles that i thought were disgusting for a woman i chose to serve my husband so that i could work out what i thought was this deeply ingrained false belief about men i wanted to be humbled before the lord Now I'm not recommending that. (laughs) I'm just telling you that was my journey because I wanted to work out, I just wanted to work out all of that pain and get over this false sense of superiority towards Mm -hmm. men. So am I a feminist? I regard that question with a little bit of timidity. Mm -hmm. I'm an advocate. Mm. I could say that for women.
3: Mm,
1: Wow, yeah, that's a great answer. And I think like um, our our intention is to host space for women. Mm-hmm. You yeah. are one of them. Mm-hmm. And, Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, uh, I love like that's more of an alternative perspective to what we typically would talk about. But I think mm-hmm. like very valid and very beautiful in mm-hmm. its own right. So thank you. Well, for maybe sharing. I
2: should say that you know at this point my husband and I have a very equal relationship. You know that. I, I let the pendulum go that way and Doug allowed that to happen. But then over the course of our marriage we've worked very hard mm. to understand each other and to empower each other in different ways that really honors our differences and mm. our masculine and feminine differences. And so I you know, we have a very equal co laboring marriage today. Mm. Doug really does a good job at cleaning the house and doing the dishes and all of the important things.
4: James does all the laundry (laughs) because I will let it pile up. I'm like, how long can I put that off? And he's like, no. (laughs) I'm like, cool, then you can do it. (laughs) Right. So I get that.
1: So with all that, I guess as we wrap up, I wondered if you could just um, speak to the – openly gay or maybe struggling with same-sex attraction or on that journey to the person who's dealing with that and wondering what do I do and who am I and and what does this mean for me what would you say?
2: Well I would say find find the body of believers the community of believers that you can be authentic with and share you know one of the things that Ken Williams says that always I love he says you really can't be loved unconditionally until someone knows your condition Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: and so it's so vital that you are seen Mm -hmm. um, and that you are known and and among a group of people who know the lord and who are following Mm -hmm. the lord who can help you make connections to the lord because the lord can give you understanding he can he can lead you towards healing emotional pain he can lead you towards uh, healing physical pain Mm -hmm. um Discovering that the Lord wants you, he desires you, he's after you, he is Mm -hmm. with you in the game through thick and thin. Um, He wants to create an intimate relationship with you. Mm -hmm. I think getting a fix, a stronghold on that is really the most important thing. But then beyond that, getting connected to um, a group of people who know that experience. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I want to say, come my way. (laughs) You know, come my way. Because the dialogues we're having at Changed, you know, as that community grows, people who, they want an alternative to LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're not, uh, you know, they're not out of the oven. They're still in the journey of understanding their sexuality, whatever that could look like having other people who understand that journey is super vital mm. and what you get from that is vision. Mm. You see a different scenario, you see a different path forward and you can hear the wisdom of what that can look like, mm. what things have helped people understand themselves better, what part of the journey has been helpful, where are the safe spaces because unfortunately not every church environment is, is safe
1: even though they say it sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And, and a lot of the time I think that's just out of ignorance more than anything else, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And so discovering those communities where you can be faithful and be discipled sincerely mm. is what you need.
4: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. So, Elizabeth, as we're wrapping up, mm-hmm. moving towards a close, I have to know. We always ask this question to all of our guests, but I'm particularly excited to hear your answer is what does the phase, uh, phase, the phase. <laughs> wow, the phases of the moon and cycles. <laughs> um, what does the phrase,
2: um, woman being mean to you? Well, I think that it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting name for your podcast in this season because I feel, I feel that. Um, especially here in our context at Bethel, um, the understanding of who a woman is, what a woman is capable of. We have such incredible leaders who desire to empower women. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Danny Silk and Chris Vallotton who have written books for our environment. Um, anyone outside of the Bethel culture and in kind of the progressive, charismatic world, they're already on board with women need to be leading. When Women need to be showing their strength and walking in their giftings um, no longer striving Mm. is what I, what I see Mm. in woman being. Mm. I
0: love that. Wow. Yeah. Being instead um, of striving. Right. Being instead Mm -hmm. of doing.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: When
1: I think, especially for, for people who are passionate and, you know, going after things like Mm -hmm. we are, I mean, I, I fall into striving all the time, Mm -hmm. just you know trying to achieve this or that or get to this point or that point and mm-hmm. and learning how to just just be yeah
2: mm-hmm. just let the yeah. lord work can mm-hmm. can we embrace what we know of who we are as women mm-hmm. and can we allow that to be fully expressed without trying mm-hmm. to become something else or trying to move ourselves towards yeah. what we think we should be mm-hmm. but really working on knowing ourselves well being truthful and mm-hmm. honest before the lord and walking that out in a community that will empower us.
0: That's amazing. Thank you for sharing what woman being means to you and and also for being so open and sharing so much with us. Mm -hmm. Like We really feel privileged to be able to hold space for your story and for the conversation that you're having. And, um, yeah, we really just feel privileged.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. I love it. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thanks for making so
0: much space, too. Of course. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... If people want to you know, keep diving into this topic, um, or if people want to find you and, and Changed and all of the amazing things that you're doing, what are the plugs and the resources that you have?
2: Well, you can find Changed Movement at changedmovement.com, all mm-hmm. one word. That's Changed, E-D, mm-hmm. um, or Equipped to Love. Um, those are the two primary ministries that I lead, our co-lead with Ken Williams at Bethel. You can also find me at elizabethwanning.com. Um, I've uh, I've been writing. I do a lot of writing, and so I have quite a few essays on my website, and I've just recently started a Substack stack um, where I'm kind of migrating to for my writing. Um, so those are the primary places you can get into touch with me. Yeah. When does your book come out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, please, 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 please. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not so sure about a book just because I feel like, I'm a moving target a little bit. Mm. Um, I haven't started a book, but um, probably will. Uh, <laughs> I, love, I love writing so well, so eventually I think I'll probably get a book. Mm. But I think that will tend towards looking at Scripture mm. and sexuality and how Jesus articulated that mm. for all of us. Um, we've got some books. You can get a changed movement book. It's a book just of testimonies. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no rhetoric, no dialogue, it's just stories of people who have left LGBTQ. Um, Ken Williams just published his most recent book, The Journey Out. I want to put in a plug for that, Mm -hmm. because uh, it's a really um, articulate look at what was involved in the changes that the Lord uh, created in his life, and it has several testimonies, some of my writings in there. So those are the best places to find us. You can find Changed Movement on Instagram as well. Mm. I'm hit or miss with social media. Mm -hmm. I try, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have a lot of other distractions. I mean, I get it, I also try.
4: (laughs) (laughs) We're all trying. Yeah, we're all trying. Mm -hmm. Um, But what about resources? What would you recommend for reading? Oh, actual
2: books for reading. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, depending on where you're at with the conversation, um, I think Joe Dallas's recent books, um, if you go to joedallas.com, he's got some really interesting books coming out. Um, Gosh, I don't think I really thought too clearly about all of what does a person need. But I can tell you that if you go to changemovement.com, we have a resources page that lists all of our favorite resources. Mm-hmm. And One of the things that's happening right now is there's more and more censorship of our writing. And so like places like Amazon mm-hmm. won't actually sell our books,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, books of testimonies or books about the process of leaving LGBTQ, those are being censored broadly. Mm-hmm. And so on the Change Movement site, we've decided that we'll just make a clearinghouse on our site. If you can't find it on Amazon, you can find it on our site. And so that has a huge listing. I think there are about 150 books on that website. Wow. That's a Um, good list. (laughs) It covers a range, everything from some of Abby Stumvall's messages to Joe Dallas's books, Mm -hmm. Ken's books. Kin's new book but then several other books about different aspects of sexual brokenness or different aspects of the LGBTQ experience you can find there.
0: Wow, well we'll definitely link that page so Mm -hmm. that people can dive into whatever they would want. Mm -hmm. You could probably consume that content for like years. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Thank you so much for spending this time with us Mm -hmm. and uh, taking the time out of your day to just chat with us and and let us pick your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, we really, really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, and woman beings, thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you uh, for taking the time out of your day to, to hear this story. And um, it might be one that is familiar to you. It might be one that feels foreign or that feels scary. Um, and we wanna invite you to dive into the gray um, and to uh, consider sides of a story that maybe you hadn't considered before. Uh, we, we value so much um, conversation and we think that dialogue is so important. Um, so we want to hear your thoughts. Uh, we want to hear what prickled to you in this or, or what felt like putting words to something that you um, maybe couldn't put words to before. Uh, we want to hear your feedback, um, which you can give us on our Instagram, which you can follow, <laughs> <laughs> which is Woman Being Podcast. Uh, and you can also go on our website, womanbeingcommunity.com, and check us out there. And you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places. We're also on YouTube. Yeah, we have all the ways for you to listen to us and find <laughs> us. So be sure to do that. Um, we definitely want your feedback. And. That's all. That's, That's all, folks. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>